Everybody turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We'll be looking at verse 8 and 9 this morning. Just trying to look out and identify blurs this morning. I don't have my glasses on, so I see some nice blurs. <laughs> Hope you're having a wonderful day in the house of the Lord today. Genesis 3, verse 8 and 9. Um, today, I want to talk about something that in its essence, is very simplistic. And I'll be honest with you, today's message is short and it is a small morsel, but it is very impactful and it's very important for our Christian walk. And, um, you know, sometimes the most profound things um, in the gospel are the simplest things. By the way, the gospel is just simply good news. It's not convoluted news. It's not... It's not uh, overreaching news is just good news of the gospel. And so I want to talk today about something that I think that maybe we have overlooked when we read his word and something that kind of the way that God operates uh, is um, contradicts how we operate. Uh, what God pursues kind of contradicts even in the life of the church what we pursue. Um, and it's with this scripture here. Uh, right at the very beginning, we see God behaving in a certain manner and asking a question. The very first question ever asked in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And it says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, everybody say it with me. Where are you? On Sunday mornings when we come to church, we enter in, we engage in uh, passing conversations with people. When you see somebody you haven't seen in a little bit, one of the first questions you, we tend to go to, our default question we tend to go to is, how are you doing? We will say, how's your week been? How's, how's your kids doing? How many of you asked that question this morning to the people that you saw, <laughs> right? And this is kind of a common question because many of us want to know how someone's doing. God, the first question he ever asked is not, how are you doing? He said, where are you? Because if you want to know how someone's doing, you can answer that question. They don't even have to answer that question. You, you can answer that question by where they are. Where you are always determines how you are. Are you with me today? Yes. He doesn't ask, how are you? He asks, where are you? I looked through the Bible just, just for fun, doing a little research. I looked through the entire Bible, and I tried to see if God or Jesus ever asks in the entire Bible, how are you? And the answer is, he does not. God never asks you, how you are. But he is constantly through the Bible asking where you are. Whenever trouble arises, he always comes with the question, where are you? When um, Cain killed Abel, he comes to, in, to, the, to the situation and he says what? 
where is your brother? And just for your just for your own edification, go through the Bible. I want you to look at stories. I want you to listen to when God interacts with the people. And I want you to listen to how many times he asks, where are you? We need to begin to maybe ask this question to ourselves because God is asking it to you today is, where are you? Not how you are, because how you are comes from where you are. In the church, we, we are guilty of attacking the fruit and making much of the fruit, but not understanding that the fruit is the way that it is because of the root. I actually talked to a friend of mine this week who is at a church. He's a pastor of church, a good friend of mine, and he had made someone in the church mad. And uh, how many of you have ever made someone mad, right? And he made somebody mad, and, and, uh, and he called me for encouragement. And I said, well... Um, that won't be the first person you make mad and you'll, you're going to do it a lot in ministry, so get used to it. And he said, I called for encouragement, Sean. I said, you called the wrong person. <laughs> because the reality is we just upset people. But what I've come to know uh, the years I've lived and the more I've interacted with people, um, the more I've come to know that oftentimes what people are mad at is not really what they're mad at. Does that make sense today? I have, I, it was funny, I'll ask people, you know, what is the thing that's brought your marriage to the brink of divorce? And they're like, well, he doesn't do this with his toothpaste and he has the toilet paper upside down and he never puts the toilet seat down and he just, just when he comes home, he takes off his clothes and leaves his clothes laying everywhere and there's underwear here and socks there and just, it's just, I'm just annoyed. I've just had all I can take of him. And I'm thinking, it has nothing to do with underwear, socks, toilet paper, and toothpaste. There are other things that are deeper in there that we are hiding and we have buried that we are frustrated about. Great, a great counselor will sit down and begin to unearth the things that you've hidden. And some of us, even we don't even remember anymore because we've buried it so deep. And what God does is he's calling those things out. He's trying to get to the root of the issue. I love that. Right at the beginning, um, God seeks man. Whenever trouble comes in the Bible, you know, you know, Christianity is one of the only is is it is the only religion, the only um, religion where there is a God that seeks man first. In every other religion, it is all about man seeking God, but it is not about God seeking man. Do you understand that the God that you serve? sought you first. I mean, that's a big deal. And I know this is simplistic in nature, but you have to understand God cares so much about you and regardless of your fallen state, that he will seek you out. He's not ashamed of you. And here's the thing. We, we get into this practice of trying to hide who we really are from everyone around us and it affects how we deal with God and we begin to hide who we are from God but you want to know him, but you can't know him if you stay hidden. Because you only will see him behind all the things that you try to put up in front of you, all the hedges, all the, all the, all the things, all your marriage, your knowledge, your education, all of these things you try to put up, your, your philanthropy, your, all of these things that you try to put up to 
put off an image that you're something you're not, and, and you want to see him, but you have to see through all of this mess. And God is trying to get to the heart of the matter. He wants to remove all these things. He wants you to come out from hiding, and he wants you to be naked before him. Track with me now, because that's the way he made you. He didn't make you with the knowledge. He didn't make you with your house. He didn't make you with all your stuff. He didn't make you with your kids. He made you and you were naked and it was just you and him. But the longer we live life, the more stuff we hide behind and it affects our intimacy with him. (laughs) What do you have between you and God that's affecting your intimacy? in your relationship with him. <laughs> How many of you know um, I'm married? And, uh, <laughs> um, that's good. And I've been married now for 20 years. We're, we're a couple months away from being married for 21 years. And we are so excited about that. I, are you, you know, I actually, the, the seventh year, was it the seventh year we, I was married? I actually got the seven-year itch. It was in the first year, so I, you know, first year I had the seven-year itch, and it was a real rash. I didn't know that. And the doctor said, man, you're really, you really, you already have the seven-year itch. I was like, oh, you're so funny. And he goes, no, it's a real thing. You have a rash. But we've made it 21 years in spite of the fact that I had the seven-year itch in year one. And, uh, and uh, but it was, it's been great. And. There are moments, how many of you uh, understand that the moment you had kids that could walk around your house, your intimacy was disrupted? All the young parents are here are like, all the young parents are here are like, oh, brother. Oh, brother, you don't even know the how. You know. It is disrupted. It is not that your kids don't matter, but it is everything you add to your life disrupts your intimacy. Some of us want to have more cars and more stuff and more boats and more everything. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but everything you add to your life requires something from you and affects your intimacy with those around you. Come on now. And so what God is doing is he's calling you out from behind the stuff you've hidden yourself behind. Some of the happiest people in the world are those that have very little. Some of the most intimate people in relationships with other people are those that have very little in life. And I'm not saying we should go sell everything and get rid of everything. I'm saying, though, that we should understand that if that stuff has us, we have a problem. Some of the richest people are some of the most unhappy people because they have hidden behind their stuff and they have made the, their stuff uh, in their own mind, their stuff is them. And God is calling us out. He doesn't ask how you are. And I think it's funny in light of, in maybe not all of you are in small groups, but we're, we're in this study called Harnessing Your Emotions. And, and it's really, really quite funny because, um, you know, we, we really are a, a people who are so focused on how we feel that we don't care about where we are. We set the course of our life based on the fruit, but not the root. God is asking you this morning, and I'm in a very simplistic message. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking very simply. He's asking you this morning, where are you? 
He doesn't ask you how you are. He asks you where you are because where you are always determines how you are. Where you are will determine how you are. If you're in the will of God, if that's your position, if that's where you are, if you're in his will, if you're in the word of God, if that's where you are, if you're in his word, if you're in the way of God, if that's where you are, you you continue in the way. If you're in the right place, then these promises will affect you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. But the where matters. If you're outside of the way, if you're outside of the word, if you're outside of God, if you're outside of Christ Jesus, and you have wandered and hidden yourself behind other things that you believe offer you hope, then weapons formed against you will prosper. Track with me now. You mean to tell me that I that just one prayer I prayed back when I was 10 years old, that 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 I mean I'm in Christ Jesus, so no weapon formed against me could prosper. I you, uh, I don't think that's what the Bible says. Because you have to continue in the way. Come on now, listen to me. Okay. If you're in the right place, God will work all things for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Some of you are Christians and God isn't working all things according. And you're like, wait a minute, it's a sham. I've been lied to. No, no. You need to begin to ask yourself the question, where are you? Because the where matters. If you're in the right place, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. If you're in the right place, all God's promises are yes and amen. If you're in the right place, you're covered by the blood of the Lamb. It's not about how you are. It's about where you are. I I think it's awesome that God sought us first. That we have a hope that he will seek us first. In the Old Testament, the very first question ever asked. The very first question ever asked, and we always, in in Bible college, one of the things that we looked at is the law of first mention. So whenever we see it first, something happen, the first, we should pay attention to it. The very first question he ever asked is, Adam, where are you? Now, Adam represents mankind. He represents you and me. He particularly represents the fallen man in the world. And then in the New Testament, the very first question ever asked lines up with that. First of all, we have God seeking man. And in the New Testament, Matthew 2, 1 through 2 is the first question ever asked. And the New Testament says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where? Everybody say, Where? Where? Is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. It is God in the Old Testament seeking man. And in the New Testament, it is is man seeking God and asking the same question that God asked in the Old Testament. Where is he? The question is, God is asking you, where are you? And we should be seeking him.
It actually says in the Bible, seek him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things, track with me now, will be, you know, the seek is present, active, indicative, meaning that it is not something you do one time. It is something you do all the time, continually. I just did some English on you right there <laughs> with a little bit of pepper of Greek. <clears throat> present, active, indicative. We, we, we have preached a gospel that said you can seek him once and do whatever you want and not seek him the rest of your life. And all these other promises from the kingdom will be added to you. And that is not the truth. We have to stop. We have to back up. And we have to begin to look at his word the way he said. And, we, and some of us, <laughs> so, listen, we live in a very biblically illiterate generation. Amen. And it's caused us to preach a false gospel that has disheartened people in our fellowships. Seek him. That means seek him, continue seeking him, and forever seek him. And then all these things that you hope for, that you'd be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Some of us are not getting victory in life because we quite honestly have stopped seeking him after our first encounter. Seek, continue to seek, and forever seek. How many of you know that to be true? Like, if you go uh, a week or two or three and you just kind of get busy in life, that it begins to affect your life and your heart and your joy and your peace and all these other things. <laughs> God sought us first. I wrote this down. Here's a neat point. The greatest call is not to ministry, but it's to him. Oh, man. <laughs> That's good stuff, at least for me. I was thinking, um, I was thinking, I was reading through here, and it says that, and they heard a sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It lit, can, I, can I just shoot something else encouraging out here that I just thought of just now in the moment? At least they were close enough to still hear him walk. Some of you want to hate on Adam and Eve for messing it up for all mankind, but at least they were close enough to still hear him. There are many people in the church that have never heard him. At least they were still close enough to hear him. They may have sinned. They may have fallen short. It, you, listen, it's not about what you've done. It's about how close to him you are. Your hope, your hope is not in your actions. Your hope is found in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Uh, is that a song? I know it's a scripture too, but I wanted to sing it, but I wouldn't do that to you. I love you too much for that. The greatest call is not to ministry, but it's to him. And, and quite honestly, it's to self-awareness. And God is calling us. Like, you know, we, we put so much emphasis in the church. We need to stop and back up. And we need to rewind and all that stuff. The, the title of my sermon but we, uh, of series. But we put so much emphasis on what God's called us to. We read these books on how to attain our calling. We have gift tests. Where we try to identify our gifts. And our gifts matter. God put those in you. And we need to, we need to manage them well. 
We need to steward them well. That's the word I was looking for. We need to steward them well. They were a gift given to us by God, but he's calling us to him. His call is not to our gift. We may, sometimes we spend more energy researching what God has gifted us with than God himself. There are people that have been in church for 10 years, they've been saved, and they have spent time and time and time trying to manage their gift, steward their gift, operate their gift, identify their gift, realize their gift. They go to conferences, they pay for conferences to try to figure out how to steward what God has given them, but they forsake seeking God in the process. And this is wrong. It's wrong. And you're like, well, I'm seeking him. No, you're seeking to know your gift. All right? And so God is calling us. He says he's, he's calling us. He's not putting a call on us. He's calling us to him. Can I ask you a question? Where, where are you today and do you hear his call? I want to say it again because I think it's so profound. The greatest call is not to ministry. It's not to your service. It's not to your gift. It's not to the church. Mm, mm, mm. You can't be called to something you are. You know why the church has been running around in circles, chasing its tail for years and generations on end? It's because they're chasing themselves. I don't know if that makes sense to you. You'll get it when you drive home. We come to him. When we come to him, we come to him naked. <laughs> some of you today, listen to me today. Some of you today, some of you today have a hard time being found because you put your education and intellectual status and your stuff and your relationships with man, you let it get in the way of your relationship with God and you have not been found because you hide behind all that stuff. And God is saying, come out from where you're hiding. Today, there will be some people here today that, that are put in a position where they have a choice to come out from hiding. I want you to know God loves you. And, and I know this is, this is very much a, you know, I think this will challenge all the people in the house, those that have been in church a long time, but it will also call out those that don't know Jesus. I'll be honest, I haven't preached a salvation message in a long time. We've got a lot of people getting saved, although I'm challenging people to go deeper. I don't know how that happens. I mean, it's funny. I, like, when we first started doing this, when I first started, like, really not just making this scene with people standing up and giving their life to Christ, and I really turned the emotion up and do all that. When I first started doing it, and, and these connection cards would come in, and people would get saved, I was like, well, how? I didn't even tell them how to pray the prayer. And God's like, oh, Sean, read your Bible. But today, this, this is, I mean, honestly, this is one of those sermons where there are people that are sitting on the fence. They're, they're hiding behind stuff that protects them from their nakedness, and they're peeking, and they're trying to see, do I want a part of that? God is desperately seeking after you, and he cares about you. And if you have any interest at all, just come on out naked. Just you and God, 
and see if it doesn't change your life. He's calling you out. <laughs> I love this. I, I don't even know what this means, and I haven't had time to work this out, and I wasn't, I actually was going to wait about a year of studying this before I preached this, but I thought I'd just throw it at you and see what happens. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what happens. And so um, I, I wrote this down, so I don't have this fully developed yet. This, this could probably be a whole sermon series if I would have time to develop it, but God said it's time. And so I wrote this down, and maybe we'll work this out together this morning. I, I thought it was interesting that Adam was naked and Jesus was naked when he came into the world. And then I began to ask questions, so does he want me to be naked <laughs> and then I, I, uh, I'm sorry, I got so confused with that. No, I didn't. <laughs> like, no, Lord, no. Okay. Um, I, was, uh, I, was, uh, I was thinking of some scriptures that, that those who are in Christ Jesus are clothed with righteousness. But you can't be clothed with righteousness by what see there's a difference between the righteousness he clothes you with he covers you with he puts on you there's a difference between that and 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 the righteous acts that you hide behind are you are you seeing are you hear what i'm saying this is the part that I haven't really worked out so i want to make sure that i'm very clear on this there's a difference between the righteousness that comes through jesus that he clothes us with in our belief and then there's the righteous acts that we're hiding behind. If I do this well enough, then he won't see my nakedness and my sin. If I do this well enough, if I live good enough, then he won't do this. And he's saying, he's saying put on this man. Put on this man. It actually tells you in the Bible to put on the new man. And take off the clothing of the righteousness of your deeds and put on this righteousness. Track with me now. You cannot, track with me now. Okay. If I were to put on different clothes, I'd have to take off these clothes. Some of you are like, have you seen Mr. Bean? No, you don't. Um, anyway, I don't know where that, why that went in there. Like there was a... How <laughs> you've ever seen Mr. Bean? Uh, he actually could take his underwear off without taking his pants off. There are some freaks who probably can do it, but I'm just saying that most of the time you have to get naked to put on new stuff. The transition for you, listen, you know, when we talk about putting stuff on, we don't think about taking stuff off. There's a, there's a process here, and some of us have to put off the old man and stand naked before him. This naked process, this naked process helps us realize and appreciate the righteousness we're clothed in. Some of us have put on righteousness without taking off the old man. Alright. Do what you want with that. I know it's not fully developed, but yeah, I got the mic and I'm in charge. <laughs> I ask this question, what have you hid yourself behind? Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this. If then you were raised with Christ, seek, everybody say seek. seek. 
present active indicative. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then also will, we will appear with him in glory. I, I wrote these things, and I'm going to say these, and then I'm going to close. It's not our stuff that needs saving. It's us that needs saving. And when you can't put your stuff off, even your sin, he says, to be saved, you have to believe in me and give me your sin. You have to give that to me and be naked. There are people in the church that are still hiding behind the sins of yesterday and they call it their testimony. Come on now. Your testimony is not what you came from and what you've been delivered from. Your testimony is found in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Come on now. That's why, that's why I hate it when people say, well, I've been through so much and because I've been through all these things, I can minister to people that no one else could minister to. That's interesting because Jesus ministered to a lot of people. And he didn't raise hell. He wasn't in a motorcycle gang. There's nothing wrong with motorcycles. I want one. When my wife gets saved, she'll let me have one. (laughs) (laughs) God forgave me from that right now. I I I take that off. I take that off. He forgave me. He forgave me. I repent. I repent. I ask for forgiveness for that right now in Jesus' name. I, and <laughs> Jesus didn't do a bunch of drugs until he was rotten away. He, did, he didn't cuss people out and, 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 and was rude to people. He didn't murder people. He didn't gossip about people. He didn't do all that. But he changed the world. And I came here today to tell you if you grew up in church and you made a lot of good choices and you were protected from a lot of that life, that does not devalue your testimony. It makes your testimony similar to somebody else that I know. If the power of your testimony is what you've done and what you've been through, there is no power to your testimony. It is what that is. Can I, can I tell you something this morning? What that is is you hiding behind and trying to make much of your sin to validate your future. We even use sin to validate ourselves, And God is saying it is time to come out from among them and be counted. Track with me now. I'll throw this in for Sean Gray translation. Naked. Okay. <laughs> Listen. It's not our stuff that needs to be saved. I wrote this down. It's not our marriage that needs to be saved. Listen, some of you are like, Lord, just save my marriage. Just save my marriage. Just save my marriage. It's not your marriage that needs to be saved. It's you that need to discover where you are. 
And if you could discover where you are, all these other things will be added to you. It's not our kids that need to be saved. Some of you here today come in every Sunday and leave every Sunday and and you're praying for your kids and you need to pray for your kids. And I'm not saying that, but it's not your kids that need to be saved. Come on. It's not the stuff. It's it's almost like we think that, that we love our kids more and care more about their salvation than God does. You best get an idea about this. God draws all men to himself. They count your kids. And he is drawing. And I understand we need to compel him. We need to show that we value him. But we need to also understand that the things of God, that God loves our kids more than than us. It's not our stuff that needs to be saved, but it is us that needs to be saved. Some of us are so worried about our kids that we've forgotten about our position. Isn't it interesting that we can be praying for our kids to get in position and in the process of praying for our kids to get in position, we get ourselves out of position? (laughs) Oh, man, I love this sermon. I'm telling you right now. I know it's short. I know it's short. I know it seems simplistic. I know it seems like a small morsel of food, but I came here today to tell you if we could get this right, it would change the world. I'm going to ask it one more time, and I'm going to close, so get somebody up here to play, even though I'm done with my time, right? Is this. In the, in the words of God, where are you? Where are you this morning? He's asking you. Where are you? 